Welcome to Health Unscripted, brought to you by The Cigna Group, a podcast featuring real, raw conversations with some of the most knowledgeable experts in the healthcare industry. Welcome to this episode of Health Unscripted. I'm Jill Vaslow, your host for today's conversation. Today, we're going to spend time talking about retaining our workforce with high vitality. It is personal to me. I lead the talent strategy and HR strategy for our company and how we think about ensuring that every person is able to bring the most of themselves to work every day. I am so glad to be here with my partner, Catherine Ryder. She has been longtime colleague and longtime co-champion with me in the space of employee vitality. So, Catherine, before we dig in a little bit, why don't you talk about yourself? Give us a sense of your career journey and the role that you play for the Cigna Group. I'm responsible for benefits and well-being for the Cigna Group, and I'm so excited to spend time with you today to talk about vitality. It really is a topic near and dear to my heart. I've been at Cigna for almost 12 years. It's been a really fun and challenging journey. I've worked in healthcare for over 20 years, and honestly, like my passion is to help people be at their best. We know that vitality ultimately is a person's ability to live their life to the fullest, to be that best self that you described. So could you just take a little time and explain more about vitality? How is vitality an anchor in each employee being able to be the best person they are every day, including in the office? The Signet Group developed this vitality index based on eight connected dimensions of health and well-being. And I think, you know, what's really kind of cool about this is that over time, we've evolved this theory of well-being. We used to think about it as like, you know, your physical health, right? And then it became kind of physical and emotional. And now, like, we're really looking at this so holistically to look at these eight dimensions, which are emotional, environmental, financial, intellectual, occupational, physical, of course, uh, social and spiritual. I am a certified health educator by background. And so I truly have spent most of my career helping companies, schools, and faith-based organizations and other community organizations improve health and well-being in their communities. We didn't call it vitality then, but that was the ultimate goal, right? Like help our key stakeholders live a healthy and vital life. I've seen high vitality in certain places, and then I've seen really concerning low vitality in inner city drug rehabs and juvenile detention centers. What stands out for me is that vitality is a journey and it really is attainable by all. It just starts with taking the first step. Kind of hit on your question in terms of work performance. What's really exciting about all of this research is that vitality and emotional health and stress and the ability to perform day-to-day tasks, they're all connected, right? And I, I mean, I think that that makes sense to all of us. But with our research, we found that workers with high vitality, they're healthier, they perform better on the job, they actually work harder. So these are the folks who they're going to be your like above and beyond type workers. And interestingly, they also better utilize their health benefits. So this really makes the case for employers. You know, if you're not already, develop some strategies to truly retain your high vitality workers. So here are some of the key findings that we found in terms of these high vitality, high performers in your organizations. So 84% are satisfied with their job, which that's just obviously fantastic. 
96% feel confident they can do their job well. And kind of to my earlier point, here's the real kicker. These high vitality workers are more enthusiastic about their work and they're more willing to work harder or just be those please, those folks that will consistently go above and beyond to help their company succeed. And I think that is the piece that's so exciting about some of this too. That is fascinating. Those are amazing statistics. And I love the win-win, right? As you framed it, if you're not already doing it, great way to lean in as an employer because we benefit all of the employees in the workforce when we're reinforcing and supporting their vitality. And then ultimately, we're building better society and better performing companies. So just win for all of us all the way around. I'm sure in that workplace culture must play a role. So can you talk a little bit about the dimension of culture in a company and how that fosters vitality among employees? Absolutely. So if you think about those eight dimensions of vitality, there is so much overlap of many of those dimensions, the environmental, social, intellect, occupational, and so forth. And honestly, like, let's face it, we spend a lot of time at work, right? 90,000 hours or one third of our lifetime is spent in the workplace. So a culture that's draining and overly stressful and bureaucratic, it's really going to take a hit on our vitality compared to a culture that lifts up employees and supports them, right? Like night and day. And so what Cigna found in the research is that Sadly, only four in 10 working adults report an environment that's supportive of their family and personal commitments. Workers with high vitality feel a bit better. You know, it's 68% of workers with high vitality feel like they're getting support, but only 16% of workers with low vitality feel that. And so, Jill, like this just reminds me of some of the work that we did together to think about how we expand our caregiver leave and some of the work that we did together during COVID just to make sure that we're really showing up as an employer for our people um, and giving them that space to have the flexibility to take care of their personal needs too. I just think that's so important. Mm -hmm. I think it's so representational of that sense of whole person, right? Where when we think of an employee as just an employee, then we're missing this three-dimensional wrapper of understanding who they are and can't ultimately support the life that's important to them if we only care about what it looks like when they show up to their desk every day. So yeah, I appreciate the way that you framed that too in the the focus from a benefits perspective and a well-being program perspective, because there are so many of the things that we can do when we like step up a little bit and expand our perspective on an individual to ensure that the whole person feels like work cares for who they are in all the things that they are. So I love that. Thank you. More of the research says that 30% of all workers really feel like their employer shows a focus on health and well-being in its actions and communications. And then the converse of that is that only 10% of workers with low vitality really agree there. You know, Jill and I have spent years trying to cultivate health and well-being for our own employees. And so I want to share some real tips here. The actions of the leadership in the organization is really reflected in the vitality of your workforce. So training and development for people managers is really key. Leaders today have to be so much more, right? They need to be mentors sponsors, coaches, 
And some of these skills don't come naturally to everyone, but the good news is that they can really be developed. There's some things that we've done from a health and well-being perspective to support the vitality has really been around mental health. We know that managers are really key to understanding when their employees are troubled or when they're not themselves, right? When they're just kind of off, right? In those conversations. And so we've done some trainings for employees and managers at the Cigna Group with mental health first aid certifications, and then also a lot of consultative services through our EAP. Jill, is there anything that you want to tag on just around some of the training and development that we've done just more broadly for some of our people leaders as well as part of your talent strategy work? Yeah, I think when I step back and look at the definition of vitality to include those other dimensions like intellectual health, vocational health, while a great first orientation is to think about ways that managers are supporting access to and from a time and resources perspective, access to well-being programs, like you know, even just reinforcing career mobility and skills development opportunities, like those things build back into some of those vitality statistics that you were giving at the beginning about our most vital employees and the way that ultimately, you know, they often can be the people that because they're engaged in their work, we see them getting promoted more often. We see them, you know, getting the higher merit increases, et cetera. So as we've been building out our people leader community and ensuring that our leaders have that rich set of tools to be able to support employees, also focusing on, you know, small opportunities for development. I love in this vitality work, the connection back into this self-actualization theory at the root of all of it. And in that, a sense of personal competence I know is so important. And so ways that managers then do that professional development of each employee also then helps reinforce that sense of personal vitality. I think it's so interesting too that workers with high vitality, they're more likely to say that their manager provides them with choices, options, like that autonomy piece that's really also part of the vitality index. They're saying that their managers understand them and convey confidence in their ability to do good work. One of the unique opportunities that we have today is that Jill, like you and I have worked together so closely for like over 10 years, I reported into you. So I'd love for you to just share and you know, I will chime in too, just how did you think about ways to promote that positive rapport with with me and other direct reports in your organization? Because I think that that's really such a key component to some of this research. I always prioritized in our relationship, like an open, like authentic, transparent communication dialogue with you so that it allowed me both to know more about who you were than what project you were working on, but also as a way that allowed me to look for opportunities for flexibility, ensure that I was, you know, listening for places where you maybe needed to be pushed a little bit more in order to lean into a development opportunity. That richness, I want to use the words like active listening, but in a, in such a dynamic, <laughs> like, I don't know if that's the right combination of words together, but in a really dynamic way, right? Listening to who you are as 
my employee and of course my friend and of course my co-builder of change in our organization, but paying a lot of attention to you, Catherine Ryder, so that that way, the way that I thought about myself as your manager was highly influenced by who you were as my employee. What did it feel like being the employee working with me? Obviously, I working for you for so long that it was great. And I think the piece for me that really made it feel so authentic is the fact that you would be so forthcoming and sharing whether that meant learning more about your family. You know, we obviously traveled a lot together too. So Jill and I went to Hong Kong together. We've done tons of things, right? So that also fostered these connections outside of a normal nine to five where we get to know each other more. And I think that's what has kept me at Cigna so long and also kept me working in her organization because it really was so positive. And I knew that Jill supported my own vitality and well-being. So, you know, I still think about after I had my first son, Campbell, Jill trekked down to visit and have dinner with us and meet the baby. And that's not something that every manager does, right? Especially in a large organization with 70,000 employees. But that's kind of, that's the kind of leader Jill is. And honestly, like we need more leaders like that, right? I think that's so important. And when I kind of take it up a notch and think about how we're doing some employee listening and hearing feedback from our own employees more broadly through our engagement survey, we ask employees if their managers actively support their health and well-being. I think our results are great at the Cigna group. We have 80% of favorable. And, you know, I want to see that number be 100% though, right? I want everyone to have a manager like Jill, right? I mean, that's kind of the ultimate goal. And so, you know, we continue to activate managers so that they foster that positive team dynamic. Um, We really focus on growth mindset and diversity and inclusion and trying to really help tease out those unique contributions from everyone because those like managers are just a key segment to continually engage um, as as you're really building that top-notch culture in your organization. And we had that great dynamic with each other to lean into through the pandemic, which meant that navigating the change of work environment and the change of the life demands that were just part of pandemic response were easier for us to figure out together as manager-employee because we had that you know, 360 view understanding of each other. I know that changed again now as we're thinking about what it means for employees to begin to move back into offices. And I'm just wondering if the research offers any other insight on the value of returning to office, how to think about maintaining hybrid work environments, you know, how do we leverage what we know in this next phase of post-pandemic response and think about what employers can do with this vitality information and driving their return to office and hybrid approach? I mean, that's such a hot topic right now. I think it's on top of mind for every employer. We recently brought back uh, a little over 11,000 employees to more than like 50 offices across the U.S. And candidly, there was a lot of work that went on because we know change is hard. we, We all kind of went to remote so quickly. Um, and then I think we all got into some of those routines and habits. Overall, we focused on the employee experience. We made a lot of investments in technology to accommodate the best office experience. 
also made new investments in on-site services to support employee health and vitality. Like that's always been a core focus for us, of course, you know, given who we are, but we really amplified that even further. I think one of the things that's really important is that while we are making changes around the flexibility for where people work, because we are asking more people to come in still on a hybrid approach, but still to come in office, other core elements of like how and when our employees work are still really flexible because we know there isn't a one size fits all approach. And I think that autonomy is really important and supported by the vitality research. Um, And then also when you start to think about all of these dimensions of vitality, of course, being isolated and alone, right? Like that's not helpful for anyone. So definitely having that work environment that supports active collaboration and partnership, it's really a win-win. So I think the research would say still maintain elements of flexibility, but ultimately people do well and can be more creative when they're surrounded by others to have lots of innovation and ideas. You know, like our strategy has always included localized on-site benefits like fitness centers and health clinics, just so we can help make healthy choices the easy choice. We were able to accelerate this approach to offer some new things with our return to work efforts. We have some new meditation rooms, some really cool new fitness rooms powered by Peloton. We've added additional on-site behavioral counselors and some cool stuff like virtual care suites that have private healthcare appointments with our in-house clinicians and also our own medical and behavioral providers. So again, what we've done is we've tried to make it valuable for employees to come into the office, not just to show up because we said show up, right? You know, we want to make sure there's a positive employee experience there. And so just to kind of dig into a little bit more of the research, hybrid workers report healthier habits than remote workers. And I think that that really does hit on some of the components of loneliness that we've also done research on in the past. But overall, hybrid workers have better mental and physical health, overall more activity, right? So you're getting more active when you're going into the office. I think, you know, I think about these where I had been remote and I'd look at my Apple watch and it's like, oh my gosh, I've literally made it downstairs to the kitchen and the bathroom's right outside of my office. I haven't even gotten like a few thousand steps, let alone the 10 to 15,000 I strive for every day. I feel like we've had an interesting social experiment in the definition of inertia. I feel exactly the same way where having just having that little bit of motivation that says, make sure that I work out in the morning before I go to the office. So plan for it and frame my day around trying to achieve certain milestones that when I'm only at home all day long, I just don't have the same motivational push around it. So it's so easy for that tipping point of inertia for me to move me in one direction or the other. So I am very grateful for that draw into the office that helps move me just a little bit more into activity of daily life. And I'll just add, in addition to health and well-being focused areas that we've made investments in, we have also tried to include the social health component in getting people back into the office. So I loved our first week back in potluck opportunities that we did with each other. In my particular office, in the way that 
different employees might come and flow through. There has been this nice experience for me of people I don't see very often just putting a sticky note on my door saying, hi, I was here. And that sense of connection to people that I don't see in my everyday life, but they enrich me. I just I just love that about the office presence. And I wasn't conscious of it during the period of time that I spent all my time at home. So grateful for the Cigna group in our orientation around what it means to get people back together, because we know that all of those dimensions of health that are part of togetherness are important to reinforce and provide opportunities around for employees. Oh, yeah, totally. And so I think just to give some tips, as this has been a topic for other employers, with so many companies returning employees in the office, focusing on employee experience is honestly the key. Foster connection and collaboration and be creative when trying to improve morale. I sit in Philadelphia. And so one of the things that we did, we did Welcome Back Wednesdays. And so each Wednesday, we had leaders host a social event, and it truly was meant to be social. It wasn't come with your notebook, right? It was come have some healthy foods. It was honestly less about the food and just more about creating that space for the connection, that networking and face-to-face collaboration. So if your company is kind of wrestling with how to make it worthwhile, just think about ways to really build that connection because it will go a lot further than you even expect. So as we look at the employer benefit space as a whole, how do you think the benefits that an employer offers to its employees can impact vitality? Yeah, it's so interesting because benefits are really important in terms of vitality. So overall, workers are satisfied generally with their benefits, but those with high vitality, they're more satisfied and more engaged. So more than half of high vitality workers use their medical benefits often or sometimes versus just 36% for with, that have low vitality. So it's a little concerning given that people who are struggling with their health and vitality have higher levels of stress and therefore you would assume like greater mental health needs, greater healthcare needs, but it sounds like they're not necessarily tapping into their benefits. And so I think that part of it is that when you're struggling and things feel overwhelming in life, you don't really know how to get started. And so some tips for employers in this space are think about how to make the healthy choice the easy choice. Think about how to remove those barriers to entry. Sometimes we get caught in this trap of offering so much, right? We want to have something for everyone. Um, And while that's great and it feels really inclusive, having tons of different point solutions and offerings can honestly feel overwhelming. Like, you know, that whole kitchen sink approach. Really try to think about having very clear pathways, really clear engagement points, and targeting messages. So what's really cool is that, you know, because we've done some of this vitality research on our own employees, we could help do some targeted messages on those folks with lower vitality and really segment our communication so that we're driving the right action at the right time. One of the things that we've done too is we recently reviewed some of our on-site health coaching. And we have health coaches at a lot of our locations, our larger locations. And so again, think about that. Like that's someone who has a stop by booth on your way into the office. So someone with low vitality can walk by and get a reminder of, oh, that's right. I should complete my health assessment for the new year. Or, oh, that's right. I should make an appointment with my health coach. You know, you can't hide as much. Um, But ultimately, you know, thinking about 
how we're looking at data, we've seen some really positive results of people who are engaging in these programs, all about really making it easy. And I think that that's the key. That's fantastic advice. I know one of the things that's been important to us from a talent strategy perspective is also to bring a segmentation orientation to our workforce. And in that way of using the data to know where to differentiate, then bringing targeted strategies. And I think you highlighted that really well in understanding how to reach employees with low vitality. If we reorient that segmentation thought and take a look at Gen Z. Are there specific insights from the deep dive this year that we got out of the vitality report that you would say shapes our thinking for that Gen Z population that might treat them differently to ensure that we're addressing their specific needs? That's a great question, Jill. So, I mean, first, just step back. Like most of Gen Z is going to be under age 26. And so what that means is that they're mostly going to be on their parents' health insurance plans if they can help it, right? So we need to think about how we create value for this group outside of the health plan. Because typically for most employers, their retirement, like 401k vehicle, and then the health plan are going to be kind of the two largest investments from a benefits perspective that an employer is making. So right out of the gate, Gen Z probably, most of them are not going to be utilizing your health plans. So how do we think about programs, whether it's financial well-being programs, discount programs, career development? From some of our research, we found that Gen Z workers are experiencing a disconnect. They're having these expectations around their career. And then they're like, wow, this this is not what I thought it was going to be. They're feeling a little let down, quite frankly. I do think about this. Now, I'm definitely not a Gen Zer, right? But I think about my first job after I finished my undergrad. And I don't know if this is just unique to Gen Z, but I would share like it was a hard time for me too. All of my friends were different parts of the country. I went from, you know, being able to be with all my close friends all the time and have a lot of flexibility and downtime to leading into a lot of structure. I made a lot less money in my first job doing research than I thought I would, right? So I think that's true of what we're seeing in Gen Z right now. A lot of them are feeling let down by their work. They're most commonly working in retail, healthcare, and hospitality. They're truthfully least satisfied with their salaries, the benefits that they're getting, which again kind of leads to my earlier point. How can you create more value for this group? Because they're not necessarily tapping into some of the medical and health benefits overall. Here's what's interesting about Gen Z, though. While they're kind of least satisfied, they're not giving up. It's important to say that they're placing a high priority on developing their skills, gaining new experiences and new expertise. They want to earn professional certifications and degrees. These are definitely things to think about because right now, almost half of our Gen Zers feel burned out on their job. And almost 60% have plans to look for a new job. So a lot of these folks have less autonomy around work. They want to feel like they're working at a mission-driven organization as well. Like that's really important for this this generation. And at the same time, money is still top of mind for Gen Z. Their top professional goal in the next few years is to honestly make more money, which in a lot of ways, if you unpack it, These are folks that are very early career. They're just starting out. So they want to think about their growth and development, and they want to continue to kind of grow and climb that ladder. So outside of salary, 
the top things that a Gen Zer is looking for for a job are flexibility and work hours. And then back to that kind of meaningful, mission-driven sense of purpose. And so I just want to also mention too that a lot of these younger adults, in addition to some of the financial stress, they're also really struggling with loneliness. That just makes me think about some of our earlier conversation, Joel, around hybrid work environments, returning to office. I do think it'll be really important um, and it'll be really cool to see from some of the data in the future, just how shifting from remote and fully remote to more hybrid and on-site work will support this group, right? Because this is new entrance to the workforce, wanting to grow and develop and have those opportunities. So I think returning to office is going to be really great for our Gen Zers. Just another quick tip for employers, with Gen Z more likely to report mental health concerns like stress and anxiety and depression, I just want to reiterate that this connection to purpose is so critical for this group of employees. So both personally and kind of organizationally from that lens. And one of the things that we've done last year is that we we improved our counseling benefits. So we used to offer five free sessions per year. Um, and we doubled that because we know that we don't want to have financial barriers for people in terms of getting getting help for their mental health. And we also improved and kind of to the earlier points around low vitality and kind of struggling to make that first step. We introduced a concierge style approach. So it's much easier for employees to find the help they need, whether it's counseling, finding childcare or legal services, but really it's like a one call, one stop shop, and then ultimately more support. So Gen Z kind of to wrap it up, I would say I think we'll definitely benefit from more of the hybrid and on-site work approach and also really try to figure out how to create value for Gen Zers in your benefits package and think about how you can give them some learning-based achievements and kind of that development overall because I think they're really craving that. Yeah, I think that that's a great summary and really appreciate the specifics that you gave for that audience. You know, they are our workforce of the future. So however we can lean hard into ensuring that they have a richer first experience. I was having such flashbacks, Catherine, when you were talking about that first job. So, you know, how do we create that more amazing engaged experience for people coming into the workforce for the first time? So they want to bring that best self to work for us every day and potentially be the long-term employees that both you and I are for our company. Thank you for the amazing work that you do every day. And thank you for being my partner in this conversation. We hope, audience, that you have enjoyed the time with us and just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Health Unscripted Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health Unscripted, brought to you by The Signa Group. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.